Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Stewart, and welcome to my podcast. Each week, we will talk about how to live our lives in God's fullness. My goal is to encourage, equip, and empower you. I have included show notes that highlight the points of this message. You can also find all the information on my website, cindy-stewart.com. I am so excited about sharing this journey with you. So let's begin. About this morning, first of all, because I missed y'all last week, and uh, I'm going to share a message on uh, raising the bar, and it's going to be a prophetic encouragement. Um, I guess last time I preached, I understand it was a very heavy message. So if you if you want to hear a heavy message, go back two weeks and listen up. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it, I didn't think it was heavy, but Chuck, I got in the car and Chuck was like, "That was pretty heavy." And I was like, "Oh." Okay, then I had several other people say, that was pretty heavy. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but you know what? You don't know what you don't know. You just do what God tells you, and it just works out how it works. And um, we just trust God in his process. And so, uh, yeah, good God. But, yeah, we're going to talk about raising the bar. It's a prophetic message. It's going to encourage us. It's going to really help us understand what this 10 years is going to look like, what we're moving into you know, I had, uh, um, Jeremiah does my graphics. He does a great job on them. But when I started talking about raising the bar in my brain, um, I'm actually on the leadership of women on the front line, and we were having a leadership meeting. And they were talking about raising the bar. And we didn't even talk about any details of it. But as soon as they said that, I thought, I know that's what I'm supposed to preach about this Sunday. But um, has anybody ever done high jump before? Oh, wow. Any demonstrations this morning? Okay, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Okay, so, huh? Low jump. jump. (laughs) That's good. Well, I have never done it. That was, I'm more of a tennis player. But the record for the high jump is eight feet and one quarter inch. So basically, you can jump over the exit sign. Now, just think about that. You know, in terms of height and that record's been held for 27 years which usually when olympics come up you know these they're breaking all these records but but you know eight just think about that think about on you know the whole thing is you got to jump with one leg bend backwards whatever there's i looked i did a bunch of research on it because i was so uh captured by you know just thinking about when the bar is at a certain level where the record hasn't been broken. There's a season coming for that record to break. And I really believe we're going to see that record broken soon. As I was praying about it and thinking about it, that's what I, that was just like my prophetic thought process today. But just think about our own lives and where we've kind of gotten these places of breakthrough and we get this place where we can't break through any longer. We feel like we've reached that pinnacle point. But, you know, with God, there is that next level. Yeah. We, we're never stationary with God. He always has that next level for us. And I believe that this is going to be a word for all of us because in this process of preparing, you know, they didn't start, you guys didn't start by jumping five feet or six feet. You know, you start, 
you know, four feet, and it slowly raises the bar. I can take another half a foot, another, you know, slowly raising the bar. And that's the way this journey is with God. He doesn't start us at eight and a quarter. He starts us out where we can walk forward at least. And then we take a jump at a time and a jump at a time. He helps us through the journey. There's the natural part of us participating, just like in any kind of uh preparing and training athletic you know you have to prepare your body there's the natural part of it but then he also partners with us in the spiritual side of it so in everything there's a natural side and a spiritual side to it but we're going to look at judges and we're going to talk a little bit about Gideon and it's judges six we're going to go through this a little bit Gideon is one of my favorite people I'm not really sure why but I just love his story I love his story. But I really feel like as the body goes, so does our ability to break through. And, and this whole story of Gideon and Israel is, is about the whole body. And I believe that this is where we are right now. Verse 1, 6, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So... I want us to understand sin and disobedience cost everybody. No one is exempt from body sin, from body life when we sin. No one is exempt. It cost everybody. And it's interesting because I believe that this is what has happened. There's been so much sin in the body. I'm not worried about the unbeliever's sin. That is one thing I'm not worried about. Because I'm not in charge of whether they are sinful or not. That is not my job. And if I am focused on their sin, then I'm not paying attention to my assignment. What I am worried about is the sin within the body of believers. Because that sin costs me. That sin cost our nation. That's what we're worried about. You know, we get so focused on, you know, this governmental person who's a non-believer and they're doing this and they're doing that. What is that to me? Because God has not put me in charge of them. God has put me in charge of body life. My brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we get our focus on someone that is not our assignment, then we get lost. If we had a little bit more focus, I told you this is going to be encouraging. It's a <laughs> prophetic word. <laughs> but I'm just starting where the Lord started. I'm starting where he started. But, you know, if I would put a little more focus on my godliness and my holiness, if everyone in the body said, okay, today... My number one assignment is going to be my godliness, my holiness, my purity, my behavior, the words out of my mouth. Imagine what it would look like. If I had my own discipline in changing me, then our body life would look very different. Because we know the assignment of the body of Christ is to bring transformation to the world, is to bring heaven to earth. 
And as we follow our assignment, that's when the enemy is dislodged. That is when the oppressor gets evicted. That is where no longer is, uh, is the enemy keeping me and the body of Christ from doing what we should do. It's the enemy who is fleeing because the body of Christ is rising. Okay, let's, let's continue on. Let's continue on because this is important. We are, you know, we are so consumed by what the world is doing. And not that it's not important in some realm, but what's more important is what is God doing in his body right now that will shift the world to line up with who he is. Yeah. That's what's important. Yeah. And we can't get trapped by the enemy's picture of what's going on out there. Okay. Oh, I'm not going to spend any more time there. But I'm going to. I'm, we're going to go back here. Okay, verse 3. <laughs> I just can't help myself. I feel like this is, this is like a word to break the stronghold of the enemy. It is a word for us. Wait a minute. You know, I don't care what they're doing. What I care about is that the body is up and we're armed and we're strong and we're ready to go. So whatever they're doing has no bearing on who we are. They will not profit because we are going to steal from them what they have tried to steal from us. Because we know that when there is evil abound within the body, and I'm not talking about out there, I'm talking about in here, in us, then we have opened the door for the enemy to come in and have his way, and then we can't figure it out. We're like, God, what are you doing? He's like, again, what are you doing? That must be a rhetorical question we're asking God because it needs to bounce off of him and right back onto us. We need to look and say, what are we doing that has invited the enemy to kill, steal, and destroy in here? Verse 3. For, uh, for it was whenever Israel had sown their seed that the Midianites would come up with the Amicalites and the people of the east and go up against them. Now think about this. The enemy is destroying our seed. You know, God's whole process is about sowing. It's about sowing into things, not just monetarily, but sowing into things. And when we sin, we open up the door to steal our seed. And the next verse, it says, not only do they steal their seed, that they destroy all of their crops. Everything that we produce is being destroyed. And we are left with no substance because there's evil in the body that is inviting the enemy. And when the enemy comes in, he kills, steals, and destroys us. And then we're trying to figure out what, what's God doing. And as I think somebody mentioned in their testimony, maybe it was Rivka, about exposure. And God is exposing what is happening in the body. So we have the opportunity to trust and turn and repent. And if we don't, then we have a different opportunity. But I won't go into that. Because we know it's true. 
We know it's true. So we have to realize that when, when, there, when evil abounds within the body of Christ, then the enemy abounds with it. We can't sin against God and, and, and think that the enemy isn't going to take advantage of that vulnerability. And so Israel had sinned greatly, and it says they were greatly impoverished. Greatly impoverished. Uh, verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because, the, uh, Midianites and the, because of the Midianites, and Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Now we know that when we cry out to the Lord, he answers our cry because that's what his word says. Right? He answers our cry. Verse 7, now it came about when they cried out to the Lord because of, the, because of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to and obeyed my voice. That's a big deal. And that is what the prophets are crying now. They're crying for the body of Christ to get cleansed, to turn back, to turn away from their sin and to come back into a wholeness that we were created into. And you can say, well, you know, I don't have that problem. I know that made me laugh when I said that. I am not going to say I don't have that problem. I'm going to say, God, check me. <laughs> you know, check me. <laughs> I got people here. Call me. Because you know what it is? It, it, even as she was sharing, it takes this revelation, this aha moment to realize something's going on that you didn't even realize was going on. And we've spent some time, you know, as a body of believers. I know when, when I was growing up, it was all about the church internally and the outside world we were totally separate from. And we've seen, of course, over the last really 20 years where the revelation of it is not them versus us. It is them infiltrating, us infiltrating whatever God's called us to do, whatever business we work in, whatever anointing is on us, so that pretty soon them become us. That's the whole thing. We want them to become us. And the only way to do that is not to walk around shielded from everything, but it's to walk in to the dark and release the light. That's how we do it. And we'll have that opportunity on the 15th of February. That'll be a great opportunity. And then you know that we'll, we'll have an opportunity too to meet those who are believers within uh, that place that are able to uh, that have been able to minister to the people around and be encouraged by us being there too. Yeah. So, anyhow. so we've got the word of the Lord. He's telling them, I have done everything for you, but you haven't obeyed me. Right. So now it's time to come back. Come back. And God always gives us the invitation to come back. Any second of any day is the invitation to come back. Any second. It, we don't have to wait till Sunday. We don't have to wait till... You know, we've said three Hail Marys. Any second of any day when we turn to the Lord, he says, come back. Come back to me. 
So that's good. God is good to us. He is so good to us. So um, I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's uh, actually a little later than I thought it was going to be. Uh, but so Gideon encounters the angel of the Lord, right? So he encounters him, and the first thing that he says to him is, The Lord is with you, O brave man. That's verse 12. So the first thing he does is tell him who he is. There's a release of identity over Gideon. And it's so funny because Gideon didn't say, Wow. <laughs> he says, So, Lord, where you been? He does. In verse 13, Gideon says to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has this happened to us? And where are all his wondrous works, which our fathers told us about, when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. Now, isn't that funny? Because the prophet of the Lord just told them that the Lord was with you. The Lord says, Okay, man of valor. He says, eh, Where have you been? And not so much in an arrogant way, but really trying to figure out why has this happened to us? And that's part of that process of really praying, Lord, if, if, if something's not going right, we need to understand what happened. And, you know, sometimes when you think of Gideon, and we're just going to use this, we don't know that this is actually true, but just kind of as, and as, as a, uh, a theoretical thought process. But when you think of Gideon, he probably wasn't the one in charge of making the decisions for Israel. He has followed along with his clan, with his, his uh, uh, part of Israel, you know, the part he belongs to. He'll talk about how he's the weakest, the smallest, all those different things. He's followed along. So there's been a whole other layer of leadership that have made decisions that have gotten them in the position they're in. And all we can say is, so what? If we're not on the top of the food chain making the decision, like Gideon probably wasn't, we are on God's food chain where we can pray in to make a difference. You know, our hands are never tied. We are the body of the Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Our hands are never tied. When we think there's nothing we can do about what's about to happen in Miami, that is not true. The prayer we prayed together this morning, we will not know the impact that it has. But what we know is our God heard us from heaven. And we know that our God will act on our behalf. Because we have called out to him and he will answer us. Because that is what his word says. So that's what we know. That's what we can trust. We may not understand how things got started. Gideon may not understand. How did we get where we are? And God, why didn't you just evict all those leaders that were bad and put in new ones? He says, I have year after year after year after year, right? But he's looking for us to be those leaders, those people who will pray in the frame of reference we have so we can make a change over the region God's given us. So, you know, he may not have understood what happened. And he's asking the Lord, you know, why did you abandon us? We've asked the Lord, Lord, why is this happening? 
and he will give him the answer. 14, it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So now, <laughs> poor, poor Gideon's starting to put these pieces together. Okay, first I'm a mighty valor warrior. Okay, now I'm going to be saving people. Yeah, no, that's a big, that's a big ask. But Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how am I to rescue Israel? Behold, my family is the least significant in Manasseh, and I am the youngest, smallest in my father's house. How, how many times do you feel like you don't, you're not enough? You're just not enough for what's in front of you. That, that there's got to be someone else or even a supernatural lightning bolt from heaven that would just take care of it. You know, I mean, we do think that. But because each of us carry God with us, we are enough. We are more than enough. But some of those things we have to wrestle out in private with God before we're able to step out in public to do what he's called us to do. You know, it's that wrestling. So they go through this whole wrestling, God and, and Gideon. And, and Gideon... Um, finally works up enough strength he brings God an offering God you know he has the the lamb all this stuff and God sends fire to consume it now don't you think he was scared I would have been scared I would have been scared and he even says to God and you know this is where our brains are trying to rack up an understanding when the Spirit of God is working through us and in us. Because he even says, uh, so, so, you know, he, he consumes the bread, the, the, the fire flames up, and then verse 22, he, it says, when Gideon realized without any doubt that he was the angel of the Lord, apparently he might have wavered on that earlier in the, in the chapter, he says, oh no, Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face and I am doomed. So here, God tells him he's a mighty warrior. He tells him he's going to go save Israel. And Gideon's bottom line is, I'm probably going to die. <laughs> you, know? you know, our minds are trying to reconcile with this spiritual life that we live in. And it's hard. Because we're taught this logical thought process and we understand the holiness and the beauty of God. And if he's going to throw flames in front of us, then we're probably next. But then we have to remember what God has called us to do. We have to remember that, that he has called us beyond the encounter he gives us, the encounters to strengthen us. The encounters to confirm for us. But the calling is to send us. And for us to remember where he's taken us. I mean, that should make us exciting. Come on, we all have a calling. Raise your hand because you all do. And if anyone doesn't know it, I'll, I'll be glad to give you one. I'm sure we got a lot. We got a lot. <laughs> Seriously, we all have a calling. God has a calling on our lives. We've all had encounters with the Lord in different ways. God encounters us differently because he knows exactly what we need. And then we've all had those moments like Gideon that says, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to make it through this. I know what you've said, Lord. And I believe it somewhere. 
but I can't reconcile it with who I think I am. With, with what the, the least of the least, the smallest of the smallest that I think I am. I cannot reconcile that. But you know what? That does not bother God. He just keeps pushing. He gets behind you and he gives you that extra little nudge. Yeah, he'll send somebody your way and say, oh, I've been praying for you to get all that done because I know you've got some stuff you can do for me. That's what I pray. <laughs> you know, I mean, he keeps nudging us. He is not afraid of our fear. He's not afraid of our uncertainty. He's not afraid of anything. The thing that uh, burns him is our sin. That's what burns against him. And that's what he's, keeps pulling out of us it's kind of like uh having one of those feet soaks then and uh with bacon soda that when you get out the water's all black because it takes all the toxins out that's what god wants to do he wants to remove the toxins from in us and that's what he wanted to do with gideon so you know he's had gideon in this private place of negotiation and it is a negotiation because Gideon bring, gives him all the reasons he can't jump eight feet. He can't even jump five feet. It, it's a negotiation in that private place. It's an encounter in that private place. And once Gideon gets that done, then, it's, then he sends him out. Here's your first assignment. Your first assignment, no biggie. Go throughout your town. Take down all the gods of Baal. No big deal. You've got this. You're a mighty man of valor. No problem. How many like those assignments? <laughs> I've got that. It's no big deal. No big deal. But he takes 10 men with him, and he does it at night. And one of the things that I read, because we have two battles at night in the story of Gideon, was that he went and in the prime time of the deepest sleep. So the likelihood for them to wake up is very unlikely. Isn't that interesting? You know, God knows that perfect timing. Now it says, of course, he goes because he's afraid. You know, he goes at night. But he learns, as we talk about the other battle, he learns that that's a great time to hit your enemy is in the night watch. You know, so you've got that kind of space. So he goes with these 10 guys. He does it all. And so what happens the first time he steps out? The people within his community are the ones who come against him. Now, if you don't think that this cleansing of the Lord is not going to cost you something, it will cost you something. It will cost you something within your sphere of influence. Because they're used to you being silent. They're used to you being at work going, well, that's okay, we're at work and they're not safe, so I'm not going to say anything. They're used to you not doing anything. I may have told you this, but Chuck and I went out to New Orleans for our uh, anniversary. We love going there. I know people don't like it, but we love the jazz. We love the food. We, we just love it. So we're going and we're sitting in this really nice restaurant for dinner. And it's just that these are little small tables because it's really packed. So we're sitting here and there's two men sitting here. And, uh, you know, we're, we hadn't been there very long. And the one man at the table screams an obscenity sitting beside us. And I, I was so shocked. Because it's a nice restaurant. You'd think people would behave. But uh, I was so shocked. I looked at him. 
I told Chuck, I said, we're probably going to have to go sit somewhere else. And he didn't hear me say that, but I just looked at him and he said, I am so sorry. And I didn't even say, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. Get back. You know, I, to be honest with you, I was just so shocked by it. But he, he my eyes were enough to hit his heart. You know, we will see the effects of this holy movement, this holy cleansing, this exposure within the body. We will see it from the people who love us. Because it will tick them off. It ticked them off. They were mad he destroyed the gods of Baal. Because they were busy worshiping God and they were busy worshiping Baal. So it will cost us. But God will defend us. God will be our defense. So they tear it down. You know, they uh, get all that taken care of. He, he passes his first assignment, right? But now that that has happened, verse 33 in, in chapter 6, he's taking care of the sin within his camp. But what happens? Then all the Midianites and the Amicalites and the people of the east assembled together and they, cross they crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Now think about this. They've cleaned out their own camp and what happens? The enemy surrounds them. The enemy didn't have to worry about their camp because they were worshiping other gods. They were doing all this other kind of stuff. But when they got their house cleaned up, the enemy surrounds them. They're like, wait a minute, that's our pickings. That's where we find our seed. That's where we steal everything that they have. What is going on there? But the Lord did not leave Gideon by himself to take care of this. He begins to raise up an army to fight against it. And that's in verse 35. He said he sent messengers throughout the tribe of Manasseh. And the fighting men were also called together to follow him. And he sent messengers to the tribes of Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. And they all came up to meet him. So they sound the alarm that we're about to go to war. Now where were they when all this other stuff was going on? You know you can't break through the stronghold of evil when you're in agreement with it. You cannot bring up a battle against someone that you're eating dinner with. They were in bed with the enemy. And they certainly couldn't fight him because they had agreed that evil was fine in their house. So how can you get rid of something that you've decided is okay? And they could not put together that the evil was costing them their seed was costing them everything God had promised them, which was that they would multiply, that they would have uh, milk and honey, that they would have abundantly more. They could not put together the evil with their seed being stolen. So the whole Midianite, the whole Amicalites, all those people decide they're going to fight against them. And Gideon knows that he's going to, rescue Israel he says in verse 36 and Gideon said to the Lord if you're going to rescue Israel through me as you have spoken I, behold I will put a fleece of flesh, freshly sheared wool on the threshing floor if there is a dew only on the fleece and it is dry on the ground all around it then I will know you, have re you will rescue Israel through me and you have said it you know 
I think Gideon gets a bad, bad rap for putting out a fleece. He actually puts out two reversible fleeces. You know, it's like a, like a coat. They're reversible. But, but sometimes as you walk through this process with God, you're looking for confirmation. You're looking f- to God. If I'm going to take all the tribes that are listed here, I'm going to take all the fighting men, and we're going to take out the Midianites, the Amicalites, and there are more that will come against them. I gotta, I gotta have some confirmation. And God's not mad at our uncertainty. He's not mad that we're looking for confirmation. He didn't say, "Well, Gideon, because you're asking that, I'm just gonna blow you out of the water and I'm gonna pick someone else." That, but that is the way we think. That if we look at God and say, "God, I'm gonna need a little bit of help on this. I'm gonna need a voice to come and speak to me or something. I'm gonna need something." We feel like we've done something wrong, that we don't trust enough, we don't believe enough, we don't, you know. But, but God knows each one of us and what we need. And for Gideon, this is what he needed. You know, for Joshua, that wasn't what he needed. But we're, we're all different. We are all different. Think about it. Joshua was groomed differently. He was groomed under Moses. He was groomed to, to take over. He was groomed in the presence of God, the physical presence of God. You know, Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. He was hiding out for his life. He's the smallest of the smallest. He needed a little bit more than Joshua needed. It's okay to be honest with God about what we need. It's okay to say, God, I know you've given me this assignment, but I'm going to need, I'm going to need some help. I need confirmation. I need for you to show me, whether it's through your word, whether it's, you know, feathers on the ground, whatever it is, whether it's through 10 people calling me, it doesn't make any difference. I need some confirmation. He'll still use us. He'll still use you. So he gets his confirmation. God is good. God is good. So he has 32,000 men. That should, take, that should take care of it. That should do it. 32,000 men. Yep. We're going we're gonna to write those guys out. But what I love about God is he tells them, verse 2 in chapter 7. Poor Noah, I'm sorry. Verse 2 in chapter 7, it says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, There are too many people. I called everybody, everybody I knew to come and help me. No, there are too many people. Because Israel will boast about themselves against me. Saying, my own power has rescued me. Now you know that God gives us a strategy sometimes that seems ridiculous. This is a ridiculous strategy. First, he says, tell all the people who are scared to go home. That was, that was 20,000 right there. <laughs> I might have been in that lot. Everybody who's scared, go home. <laughs> yeah, isn't it funny? Okay, so 22,000 men left out of the 32,000. So he's like, still not insurmountable. You know, I can still do it with, you know, 10,000 men, no problem. Oh, yeah, well, let me just go ahead and talk about water. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many people. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you. 
Therefore it shall be <laughs> that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But everyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not. Well, that's pretty easy. That's pretty easy. But okay, here's the plan. You're going to, in verse 5 it says, So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said, Gideon. You're going to separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels down. So the number, who, uh, the number of those who lapped the water by putting their hand to their mouth was 300. The Lord said, that's it, 300. You know that there were more than 300 Midianites and Amicalites going against them, right? You know that there were more than 300. 300. 32,000? I'm feeling the wind here. 300? <laughs> the scales have shifted. The scales have shifted. But, you know, it's like God puts his finger on it, and all of a sudden, <laughs> the 300. But, you know, that's where we don't really understand God. Because he does things that we're so puzzled by that we just walk through, and we're like, okay, we're going to take the next step. Okay, we're going to take the next step. But God, couldn't you just explain this to me? Because it is so out of what I understand it's out of the way I want to do it I think that's half the battle when God calls us is giving up our way because I have a great way God that you could do this I have some good ideas I have a plan that 32,000 that was a good idea I called everybody you know my efforts went out He's like, yeah, that was a really good idea. Now let me just fine-tune it for you. And when you think about the way that God moves us in these walks of faith, he didn't take Gideon from zero to eight and a quarter. He took Gideon from zero to one foot to two foot to four feet. He took a little bigger jumps once he kind of got the rhythm going until finally he was ready to go against the Midianites and the Amicalites with his 300 guys. And they're the lapdog guys. What really is that? I know there's a significance there. I read a couple of them and I'm like, okay. We're, I, I couldn't get to any of them. So I'm like, mm, I didn't agree with any of them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on from there. But it is interesting to think which one. So here we go. We're about to start the battle. And what is interesting about this is uh, verse 9 in chapter 7. You know, it gets his 300 guys together. And uh, it says, Now on the same night the Lord said to Gideon, Arise and go down against their camp, for I have given them into your hand. But, he, but in verse 10 he says, But if you're afraid to go down by yourself, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say, and afterwards you will have the courage to go down against the camp. It's like God gave him that little extra, you know, God knew he was afraid, or he wouldn't have given him the option to do something else. So he knew. And that's what I love, is, is God is so in tune. It doesn't mean that he's not going to ask us to do it, but what he's going to do is he's going to give us everything we need to be courageous, to have a confidence even in trembling. It's a trembling Yeah, I am confident. It's a trembling confidence. 
so that we can go knowing that we will have victory. And regardless what the victory looks like, it looks like what God wants it to look like. It It looks like what God wants it to look like. So he hears the dream. Verse 13, it says, When Gideon arrived, they there was a man telling a dream to his friend. Now, of course, we're going to need a dream interpreter on this on site, right? That must have been Pura. His friend was the dream interpreter. Listen carefully. I had a dream. There was a loaf of barley bread tumbling into the camp of the Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, and it turned upside down so that the tent laid flat. And his friend replied, This dream is nothing less than the sword of Gideon. This is the enemy telling his friend that they're about to get beat. The son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given Midian and the entire camp into his hand. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. That's it. I'm in. Then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets and empty pitchers pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. I've always had a picture of that. Can you imagine what that looked like? We've got a trumpet in one hand. We've got an empty pitcher with a torch in the other. We've got no sword. We've got no gun, obviously. You know, we, we've got some accoutrements. That's all we've got is, is some stuff. And he said to them, look at me, then do likewise. When I come to the edge of the camp, just do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, the ram's horn, then all around the camp you will also blow the, trumpeter, the trumpets and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were, who were with him came to the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch while everybody's snoring really deep when the guards had just been changed and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands to blow and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Then each stood in his place around the camp, and the entire Midianite army ran, crying as they fled. Amen, God. Your victory is sweet. It is so mind-blowing. When Gideon's men blew the 300 trumpeters, the Lord set the sword of one of the Midianite against another, even throughout the whole army. So not only did they cry and run and fled, they killed each other because they were so confused. Gideon won that battle. The battle continued on and other men came in to help, but won that battle with 300 glass pitchers, 300 torches, and 300 trumpets. And the enemy fell apart all for the obedience to God's call. Isn't that amazing? What? 300 means divine deliverance. And it's so funny 
you know, we didn't get our geometry out and try to figure that. He didn't get all that out before. He didn't. He just said, God, next step, next step, next step. And God, in every way, as he said, I am with you, was with him. That's our life with God. As he cleanses our house, praise God, come cleanse our house. Because what it does is it gives us an opportunity to turn back. It gives us an opportunity to say, God, I repent for this area that you have revealed, that you have exposed in me. And as he does that all across the body, what does it do? It brings unity. It brings clarity. It brings holiness. And it brings power to defeat the enemy in every way that he has come against us. Every seed that's been stolen, every territory that he's taken, it gives us power as one to take that back, just like with Gideon. That's what it gives us. It gives us everything we need to defeat the darkness. Arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Deep darkness covers the earth. And what do we say? Who cares because the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And the deep darkness that covers the earth has no place in here because we will be the defeaters of darkness. Amen? Amen. 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 Whoo, God is so good to us. We're going to have communion now because I feel like this is a time for communion because God has given it all. He has given his body for us. He has poured out his blood for us. He has given us the victory that we need right now today on 2-2-2020. He's given us that victory today. You know, there's like a line in the sand today for us. And we just grab a hold of it and say, yes, Lord, your body has been broken for us. It's been striped for us. It has bled for us. Your blood has covered us. It has healed us in order that we can be a new creation empowered by all of you in all of us. Amen. So just take a few minutes and, and uh, you know, talk to the Lord. Let him uh, blow his breath on you. And then come up and uh, receive the elements. And we'll hold on to them. We'll take them all together. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So on the night of his arrest, he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after he, they had eaten, he said, this is the cup. This is the cup. That was poured out for you. Thank you, Lord. It is the new covenant in my blood.
God, we just thank you that you gave your son to give it all. That it was the choice of heaven to break the hold of the enemy on us. That with the confession of our faith and the repentance of our sin, that we became born again. We, we became a new creation in the family of God. That we carry the presence everywhere we go. Your presence said that it, you will always be with us and we carry you with us all the time. For the transformation of this world and for eternity ever after. So we worship and we thank you, Jesus. Because you have paid it all. You've paid it all for us. There's nothing left to pay. It's all paid. Our debt is canceled. We bless you and honor you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you guys will stand with me. Uh, we're going to do a declaration before we go. And... Um, because we love a declaration and it's going to be all about you and we love declarations that are all about us right come on it encourages us so what we're going to say is we're going to put up our hand and say a sword for the lord and for fill in your name And for Matt, that's right. And you get, we're going to say it a couple times because it's going to take us a minute to get that breakthrough. But we know that God has equipped us with the sword to take care of everything that he's called us to do, right? And he will give us people around us and he will give us the right army, maybe even tiny, to overthrow, right? So ready? So we're going to say... A sword for the Lord and for Cindy. A sword for the Lord and for Cindy. A sword for the Lord and for Cindy. So how does that feel? Do you feel like you could go slice something up? <laughs> Amen. So Father, we just thank you that you've given us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God which divides and we carry that sword within us that we can release it over what you've called us to do. And there will be breakthrough. There will be breakthrough. There will be breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So enjoy your Sunday. Uh, root for who you want to root for. But I, I'm, we're just declaring the Chiefs are going to win because <laughs> we want God's breakthrough, right? Amen. Thank you. Thank guys. you so much for listening. For more podcasts like this and to connect with me, go to my website, cindy-stewart.com. And remember, you are the best investment you can make.